Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, the glasses are going on. It has got to that stage. There is only so far you can keep increasing the font on your notes. Uh, when I first came to Windsor, I used font size 11. It has now got the 14. There are more pages, and it just hasn't got any funnier. So uh, I'm going to wear my glasses. The problem is these are reading glasses, so I can see my notes perfectly, but you're all a blur, OK? Now, I've been thinking about that. haven't been praying about it, but I've been thinking about it. And I reckon there are pros and cons to that. So I'm happy enough for you to be a blur as long as I can see my notes. Sorry. First thing uh, that I want to do this morning is, is update you on our Come Together project and, and specifically our pledge appeal. Last month, uh, whenever I stood up here, I confirmed that we had reached uh, £158,000 a year. In, in pledges, you will know that our target is £191,000 to enable us to get and to service a loan, a bank loan for our new home. And as we've been saying, that's an addition to our general giving. So we fully appreciate, recognize this is a big challenge that is before us as a church. But last month, £158,000, which was so encouraging. But I'm excited to let you know that we're now up to £164,236. More people have joined in. There's over 120 people now faithfully giving. So thank you. Please do continue to pray for the plans that have been submitted. And if you would like to get involved and haven't had an opportunity yet uh, for whatever reason, then please do pick up one of these at the information point, see me afterwards, or you can go online uh, and give in, in that way. But thank you so much, and the, kind of, the journey continues. This is uh, week five. If we can go on to our next slide, uh, Matt, that would be great. This is week five of our Money Talks series. Some of you will know it was only meant to be four weeks. Uh, so either I have got carried away, or I am feeling brave, or braver, or I have completely lost it. Uh, it's probably a mixture of all of those. So last week, we looked at seven commands. Seven commands that the Apostle Paul encouraged his young mentee, Timothy, to share with those Christians, those disciples of Jesus Christ who do have money. And so he shared with them two commands they were not to do, and then five that they should do. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Now, can, test time, can anyone remember the two don'ts? Can anyone remember the two don'ts? Now, you need to shout out because I'm not going to be able to see your hand, all right? So anyone, the two don'ts. Yeah, not to set your hope in riches was one of them. Other one? Don't be proud. Brilliant. Then we had five do's. What were they? Be generous. Brilliant. Do good. Brilliant. Put your hope in God. Be rich in good deeds. And then the last one, be willing to share. A few people last week at the end asked me to email them this slide as a visual reminder. I did that. I've got some hard copies of this slide. If anybody would like to take one, again, just ask me at the end and I can give you one. If you were at Windsor last Sunday night, you'll know that we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 from Mark chapter 6. 
And I included a closing comment based on what Jesus said to his disciples whenever they told him that, that people were hungry and they needed to be fed. And Jesus said this to his disciples in Mark chapter six. You give them something to eat. The disciples physically could not do that because there was just far too many people and not enough food to go round. And therefore Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women plus children and then there were 12 basketfuls left over. And one aspect of that story that I drew attention to was our responsibility to hear that instruction of Jesus, especially in light of what is happening in our world, particularly in Kenya and Somalia and South Sudan and Yemen at the moment. You see, some people wonder, why does Jesus not miraculously feed 20 million people in those four countries today? Why? He did it in Mark 6. Why doesn't he do it now? And the reason I said that Jesus doesn't miraculously feed 20 million people in Kenya, Somalia, South Sudan, and Yemen in Mark chapter 6, we physically can. There are enough resources in our world to go around. There is enough food to share. And so if governments and leaders and individuals were willing to give them something to eat and were willing to respond to their crushing need, then we could make a difference in the lives of 20 million people. And on Wednesday night at our church members meeting, we confirmed that as a church, we wanted to do something, that we wanted to respond to Mark 6, 37. We wanted to respond to the words of Jesus in light of what is going on in our world at the moment. We wanted to give those people something to eat. And so there is an opportunity to give towards the East Africa Emergency Appeal. Today, tonight, next Sunday morning, next Sunday evening. If you want to give, many of you may have already given, but if you would like to give through the church, if you just put an envelope in the offering over the next two Sundays marked East Africa Emergency Appeal, we will bring, get that money together. We will send it off to Tear Fund. There's also, I think, going to be a bucket at the door marked East Africa Emergency Appeal if you did want to give something this morning. But here's the point of why I say all of that. Doing this, responding to this crisis picks up on at least four of Paul's commands to Timothy or that Timothy's to share with Christians regarding their use of money. So today and for the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so, I want to continue thinking about how we give and how we share the resources that we have. I want to think about how we fulfill these seven commands, and I specifically want to look at and mention the subject of tithing. Now, some of you are convinced I've lost it. 
But I want to I raise this issue and look at it because I reckon it would be impossible for me, in fact, it would be irresponsible for me during a series looking at money to avoid this issue altogether. I'm well aware that different people have various views on it, about it, around it. As someone has said, if you want to start an argument in Christian circles, bring up tithing. I don't want to do that. Plus, I'm glad to say that that's not the way Windsor deals with difficult issues. We don't argue about them. You see, for some people, tithing is purely an Old Testament practice. An Old Testament idea that is no longer relevant for New Testament Christians. The church of God were commanded, or the the people of God were commanded, they were encouraged to do it B.C., but the church A.D. is no longer under obligation regarding this principle of giving a tenth, of giving back to God 10% of your income. In broad terms, the divide over tithing, if we can call it a divide, although I'm not entirely sure lots of people have honestly engaged with the issues to such an extent that they hold a definite view. But the divide generally comes down to a debate over legalism versus grace. To tithe, that is seen as legalistic. That was part of Old Testament law, whereas grace giving Unlimited giving, sacrificial giving, cheerful giving. That is what is promoted in the New Testament amongst Christians. So, for many people on this debate, it's either or. It's a set percentage or no limits. Although, in reality, many would argue that in the vast majority of churches today, it's neither nor. People don't tithe. Nor do they give beyond 10% of their income. Now let me say reasonably early up front, I don't believe tithing is prescriptive or even descriptive. But I do think, to borrow a phrase from Vaughan Roberts, it is still highly suggestive. Highly suggestive as a launching off, a launching out point. It is not a New Testament command, but it is a helpful biblical model. Now, before we do a a quick overview of tithing from Scripture, I'm kind of glad I can't see your faces this morning. It's great. Before we do a quick overview of tithing from Scripture, I want to make a couple more initial comments. The first is that, that all we're doing, or all I'm doing, is simply beginning where God began with his own children. Yes, the New Testament goes further than tithing, and we'll probably pick up on that next week. But the principle of tithing was already ingrained in the beliefs and lifestyles of many of the first New Testament Christians who would have grown up in Jewish homes where this was taught and this was observed and this was done as part of their story, as part of their history, as part of their rich experience as the people of God. And so at the very least for us, exploring and appreciating their practice, their framework for giving has got to be worth considering. The very least, it's got to be worth considering to ensure that we have a deep and broad biblical understanding of the issue. 
The second comment I want to make relates to something Jesus said on one occasion to a bunch of Pharisees. You see, some people write tithing off because they don't think Jesus ever mentioned it. Which isn't entirely true. In Matthew 23, during a head-to-head with some of the teachers of the law, Jesus said this, Woe, or what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. It kind of seems here that Jesus was affirming tithing, that people should do it, although because he was having a go at a group of religious leaders who were using tithing as an excuse to avoid other responsibilities, some people have ignored Jesus' tithing comment and highlighted the hypocrisy issue that Jesus was primarily targeting. And that's a fair point. Jesus had a major problem with pretense. And he constantly challenged it, but do not jettison. Do not totally airbrush out that line and that comment from Jesus. You should tithe. Yes. It's one of the reasons. Now, I know, I know some people say, well, hang on a minute, that, that, was to fight. that wasn't to the church. I'm not entirely sure, based on the word of God at this point, that we can actually say that. And so for, this is one of the key reasons why many of the early church fathers, the sort of heavyweights of the Christian faith like Augustine and Jerome and Arrhenius, they saw tithing and taught tithing as the Christian norm. Someone else has written in reflection on this. It, it isn't that the floor of the tithe is made invalid under the new covenant, the new testament, but simply that the ceiling of Christian giving goes far above it. You see, the New Testament may not explicitly teach tithing, but neither does it unteach it. It simply takes the baseline to a whole other level. But Jesus did say something about it. And we at very least need to bear that in mind. Okay, let's backtrack a bit. Let's sketch an overview of this practice in in Scripture. Now, obviously, I cannot give you a comprehensive summary in the time this morning. If you do want to explore this whole subject in more depth, many of you have, many of you have done this, but if you want to explore this subject in more depth, I I, I would recommend a few books, and if you see me afterwards, I'll I'll, I'll suggest those to you. But a tithe at the end of the day was just a tenth part. There were different levels of tithe in the Old Testament, yes, but the, the main one was this idea of a tenth part. And it first occurs in Abram's story back in Genesis 14. Whenever we read that Abram gave the king, who was also a priest called Melchizedek, Melchizedek, a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered from another king he had just defeated. We don't often think of Abram as a warrior. But in Genesis 14, we read that he didn't go into some kind of battle with another king, recovered certain goods, and gave a tenth of those to Melchizedek. You then jump forward to Jacob's story, and now we're up to Genesis 28, and we read that at the end of the dream incident, you know that where Jacob sees angels going up and down on a kind of stairway to heaven? It really says here that Jacob commits to giving God a tenth of everything he has that God has given to him. 
And so this ancient custom of voluntarily giving a tenth of your income or a tenth of your possessions or your recovered goods to a superior or to a king or to a god that you worship, that has been around right from Genesis, right from the book of beginnings. Before the law, before the Mosaic Covenant, this idea of voluntarily giving a tenth in some shape and form has been around right from the start. We then fast forward to Moses, and under the Mosaic Covenant, it became a compulsory contribution for rescued Israel. A tenth of everything from the land that says belonged to God, and it was holy to the Lord. Just quoting Leviticus 27. Tenth. That was the holy bit to the Lord. Belonged to God. It was dedicated to him as part of their praise and their thanksgiving for the land that, that he had given to them. And we read that, that that tithe went to the Levites to support them in their service of the Lord because they had no land. And then they, in turn, gave one-tenth of that to Aaron the priest as part of their worship. Deuteronomy 12 and kind of 14 spells this procedure out in more detail, but this, this idea of giving back a tenth of income or your first fruits a tenth of the first fruits of your seasonal harvest, acknowledging that God is the ultimate owner. This was a widely practiced custom. And it ensured, or it was meant to ensure, that the people of God would put God first in their finances. God would get the first 10%, their first fruits, recognizing, God, you deserve this. Belongs to you ultimately anyway, but you deserve this. Proverbs 3, 9, we're all familiar with Proverbs 3 and 5, but Proverbs 3, 9 picks up and affirms this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And so this system of giving a tenth, the first tenth back to God, was important. Now, of course, it wasn't taken seriously. What wasn't always done? We as a church have recently finished a series in Nehemiah. And some of you might remember that whenever Nehemiah led and kind of fronted the reform and the recommitment of the people of God, which they had put down in writing, giving was one of the areas they signed up to. And so we read this in Nehemiah chapter 10. Those of you who were here will, will know this. The people says, we will bring our tithe. They had stopped doing it, but, but here Nehemiah is calling them back to God, calling them back to recommitment to God. And they say, okay, we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. There it is. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. And again, those of you who are here might also remember when Nehemiah went back to be in the king's cupbearer, right at the end of Nehemiah, it says that sometime later he revisited Jerusalem and he was horrified to find out that the commitments they had put in writing were all being broken, including this commitment on giving. And so Nehemiah had to rebuke the officials and the people of God. He had to call them together and say, guys, why are you now neglecting what you'd signed up to do? Why? So tithing, it seems, was an important aspect of life with God. And finally, I want to say in this kind of big, broad strokes overview, let me jump to the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Although those of you who know your chronology of Scripture will know that this particular Old Testament prophet was probably speaking just before Nehemiah. But his book appears right at the end of the Old Testament. But in, the, in Malachi's day, the people of God are, are not in a good place. There's a bit of a downward spiral going on. That They're questioning 
God's love, God's consistency, they, their trust levels were really, really low. In fact, they blamed God for so many of their problems. Now, they hadn't totally abandoned God, but their relationship with God was pretty dysfunctional. And God speaks into their lives. God takes initiative as God often and always does. God takes initiative. He speaks into their situation via his prophet Malachi. And let me read you what God says. And this is Malachi chapter three. It's the penultimate chapter of the Old Testament. But here's what God says. I, the Lord, do not change. You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. You see, God is saying, listen, I'm consistent. I don't change, but, but you do. And as a result, you've become disobedient. And if you read Malachi 3, it's not just they become disobedient. This has been going on for generations. You've become disobedient spiritually as a people. You're all over the place. But God, again, as God often always does, he doesn't give up on them. He invites them back. And in Malachi 3, verse 7, we read God saying, return to me and I will return to you. My love's faithful. My love is generous. My love is forgiving. And he's constantly working to restore and maintain and strengthen relationship with his people. And he calls them back. He says, please return to me and I will return to you. And then the people ask the question, how do we return God? It's a great question. How do we return God? How do we come back into that intimate, close relationship with you that we were created for, that we long for? And God effectively says, and this is a bit of a shocker, stops you dead in your tracks. Here's what God says to them. Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. It's an extraordinary idea that we can rob God. And so the people ask the obvious next question in verse 8. How are we robbing you, God? And then God gets to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. He addresses a core heart issue, the one that we've been thinking about for four weeks. It's all about money. How are you robbing me? In tithes and offerings. They weren't giving as they were supposed to. They weren't giving as they were meant to. They weren't supporting the temple. They weren't supporting the priests. They weren't supporting the Levites. They weren't helping the poor and the needy in their community. They were holding back 10% and they were keeping it to themselves and they were keeping it for themselves. And God says, stop robbing me. And it's strong. I know it's strong. These people had adopted the position of owners rather than stewards. Their attitude was one of ownership rather than stewardship. Ultimately, all belongs to you, God. They thought it was all theirs, and they were reluctant to part with any of it. And as a result, God speaks strongly into their lives. Otherwise, their spiritual drift and their dysfunctional relationship was going south. And there were serious implications if they didn't get this sorted. And Malachi goes on to explain what those are, but we don't have time to look at those this morning. 
But the point for us as we think big picture is that certainly at one stage, tithing mattered. It mattered to God. It mattered to the people of God. Giving back a tenth, the first fruits, was an important part of the relationship. It was a vital expression of worship, a vital expression of the overflow of their heart. It somehow kept things. It somehow kept them on track. So where does that leave us? Where does it leave us? Confused? Yes, we absolutely need to read on into the New Testament, recognizing we're not under law, we're under grace. Recognizing Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Accepting that giving cannot be formulaic. We come knowing that free will, extravagant offering needs to be explored and discussed and promoted, yes, but does that mean tithing's just a total write-off then? That it's not a good practice, that it's not a good idea? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure as we engage with all of Scripture that we can make, take this biblical principle and just say, okay, let's kick this for touch. Let me go back to something I said at the beginning. Tithing is not prescriptive. Please hear me on that. Not even sure it's descriptive. but maybe it's still highly suggestive as a baseline. Tithing is no finishing line. It's not a bad starting block. Plus, I, I still can't quite get away from those four words of Jesus, you should tithe, yes. Can it become legalistic? Of course it can, it's always a danger, but then can soak in lots of other things, like, as Nathaniel said, at start going to church, reading your Bible, praying, become legalistic. Solution isn't always to stop doing something simply because it's got or become corrupted by legalism. A shift in mindset and a change of heart is what's required when that becomes a risk. And thankfully, we worship a God who specializes in matters of the heart. See, right back at week one of this series, I said we are called to be image bearers of a generous God. That's our starting point. Image bearers of a generous God who has given everything for us. The other starting point, everything we have ultimately belongs to him. We're stewards. And so if we start there, if we get that right, then any talk of tithing, of giving back 10% is never going to be the last word, nor is it going to be a legalistic loophole. And I realize that this, for some people, will create more questions, other questions. For example, so, should we tithe net or gross? Where should our tithe go if we do choose to tithe? Should it go to the church exclusively? And then anywhere else and everywhere else above that is the kind of grace-giving component. Where do I stand on that one? What about those who cannot afford to tithe? And the questions keep coming. I know that. They are real issues. And don't just leave them hanging. 
wrestle with them. Talk together about them. But what I've wanted to do, all I've wanted to do this morning, probably pretty badly, all I've wanted to do this morning is raise and reflect on this subject as part of our Money Talk series and encourage you to go away and allow it via God's word to inform and shape your ongoing attitude towards money and your handling of it. That's all I've wanted to do this morning. But I believe that the highly suggestive idea and model of tithing might just add another dimension to our overall approach to money and how we give it. And it might also help us stay well away from the love of money. So to tithe or not to tithe, that is not the question. But maybe it is a really good one. I have finished. I'm just pausing for a moment. <laughs> uh, we're going to stand together and close. Half past. Nathaniel, you didn't need to worry. Nathaniel was concerned about time. We're going to close by standing together to sing that great song, 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Uh, so can I invite you to stand, and then I'll tell you what I would like you to do, but it's, don't worry, it's not anything that you will feel uncomfortable with, but let's stand together as we sing this song to close.